0: Alright, we're in Matthew chapter 3 tonight. Matthew chapter 3. Something I want everybody to keep in mind as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. One of the challenging things about preaching through the Gospels is we have so many stories, we have so many examples of just words from Jesus, and you can preach entire messages on pretty much every verse. It is uh, preaching through... Uh, doing a full, uh, an entire chapter in one week is difficult. It's challenging because there are so many things that we'll preach in every one of these passages. And so, um, you know, obviously, I am not going to attempt to just give a full-blown expository breakdown of every verse in these. There's no way we could do that, um, at least with one chapter a week. There's absolutely no way we could do that at all. But one uh, one thing I do want to do as we go through these passages, and I want to do that in this one today because there's a lot of directions we could go with pretty much any chapter, especially when we get to the Sermon on the Mount because literally every point Jesus makes, you can preach a sermon just on that thing. But uh, what I want to do is I want to make sure whenever we go through these chapters that we get a, and I want you to catch this, all right, a literal interpretation of this passage as originally intended something that we need to remember and when you're from the baptist world most preaching that you hear is application not interpretation okay and what is interpretation interpretation basically you know whenever a passage was written you know what was the original intent of the writer when paul was writing to the corinthians What was the purpose? He was trying to straighten things out in a church in Corinth. He was dealing with very specific issues. Sometimes he was dealing with specific people and he would even name specific people. And so when we're looking at the literal interpretation of that, and you know, if we're in Timothy and he's talking about Hymenaeus and Philetus, the original interpretation is he's talking about Hymenaeus and Philetus. But at the same time, we It's okay, it is appropriate for us to go to these passages and to learn from them and to make life application. That is appropriate. But the, the, one of the things that has happened in Baptist churches is we have preached so much application without ever preaching the interpretation that a lot of times people have forgotten what the interpretation of the passage is, which causes them to make goofy application. And so understand, we cannot make proper application if we have a bad interpretation. That's one of the reasons people get so confused on the parables. When we, the, one thing you have to remember about the parables, the parables are directed at unbelieving Jews, and, and Jesus spoke to them in parables because they didn't believe. They did, they didn't have faith. He's talking to a faithless people, and many times he's dealing you know, he's speaking to people who are going to, or who are in danger of being broken off of the old covenant that they were in. Well, guess what? We can't be broken or taken out of the new covenant that we're in. And so, again, there's applications we can make, but if we get too literal with those passages, then we're going to get confused. And some people even go as far as to use some of those things to teach you can lose your salvation. Absolutely, you cannot lose your salvation. No one ever could lose their salvation. But you could get broken off the old covenant. You, you could do that. And we're going to be talking about that uh, on Sunday. So I don't want to start preaching that. But I, I want everyone, when you do your own personal Bible study, you know, we've got to stop being Baptists and just looking at a pastor and I go, man, that's going to preach. You know, we've got to stop just thinking, you know what, I'm ticked off about something. I need a verse. I need a text to go along with what I want to talk about. That is most preaching that we hear today. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been seeing all these sermons going around, and people, people are trying to get me fired up. They're sending me all these sermons of just goofy stuff being preached in Baptist churches about Israel right now because everybody's going crazy because of the stuff going on in Israel, and people are preaching sermons about the war in Israel, and the, from the Bible. It's like really. This war that's going on right now is in the Bible. Now listen, can we make applications? Of course we can. But then these people are butchering the Scriptures and they're doing all application and it's garbage. And if we all knew the interpretation of every Scripture that we read, people aren't going to be able to do that kind of thing with us. And so always understand, always know, you should always know. I, I, I shouldn't have to tell you all the time when I'm making application versus when I'm doing interpretation. Okay. And th- I, there's always going to be some of both. And you need to know when he's making application. Because again, if I'm preaching something to, and I'm nailing you, well, obviously that passage wasn't directly about you, but we're making application. So oh, keep keep that in mind. So having said all that, let's go ahead and go into this passage. Because again, this is a passage that probably 98% or more preaching in baptist churches that have come from this passage has been solely application and the application many times is wrong many times it's right but i want to talk about interpretation and i and i have to specify that because when i bring up certain things in your baptist brain you, you know a red flag or you know an alarm might go off but that's because you're used to application it was probably right We're going to look at interpretation. So keep that in mind. So verse 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what exactly would this sentence mean to first century Jews before Jesus had come on the scene, before they have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, before they have the writings of Paul, when John the Baptist is preaching, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What would that have meant to them? When he told them, when he's telling these Jews, repent, what did that specifically mean to them? Now, we are not wrong when we go and we preach repentance to people in America today. We are not wrong when we go and preach repentance to Catholics. But if I say repent to a Catholic, that's going to mean something different than when I say repent to a Jew in first century, it's going to mean something very different what was what was john the baptist specifically saying to these people what was going into their minds as john the baptist is telling them to repent it's important that we understand that and i preached on the doctrine of repentance recently and i said there are a there's a million things that we can repent of but there's only one thing that we can repent to so what were the jews repenting of now we know for sure what they were repenting to because John the Baptist told him, there's one coming after me, the last of whose shoe I'm not worthy to unloose. So there, he's telling them to repent to Jesus, but he's also telling them to repent of something. Very specific. And, and so we need to understand exactly what that is. So what did the Jews need to repent of? And what, and we know, already know what they need to repent to. So let's look at a few more verses to get to to this question. Verse 3, For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, I'm not going to re-preach what I covered a few weeks ago in my message about the doctrine of repentance, but it's important that we go and reference the passage that is referred to by Matthew. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 40. Okay, because let's look at the... And we talked about the contrast between... John the Baptist and what he preached when he preached repentance and your modern day street preacher. Because it's very different. And we talk, it's, this is worth repeating. It says in verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord; make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now watch this, because okay? again, you all think John the Baptist preaching repentance was, uh, you know, like portrayed on television, like was portrayed by the street. The street preachers always look like they're half homeless. They're always sloppily dressed. Okay, they're all—they always look like they, you know, they just crawled out of an alley somewhere like they're half homeless or something like that they always do they always act like maniacs and people think that because charlton heston on the greatest story ever told play he played john the baptist and you know and of course we're going to see he his meat was locust and wild honey or camel's hair so obviously he looked like a maniac but according to isaiah when he's is prophesying of john the baptist he's saying speak comfortably and notice this too because what exactly does this mean He said, every valley shall be exalted. What does that mean? To be raised up. What what is a valley? Well, if you're trying to travel somewhere and you come across a valley, that's difficult, isn't it? That can make a journey very treacherous when there is a valley. Just as a mountain will do the same thing. Wherever, Wherever there's mountains, there's going to be valleys. And it's nice if you're traveling, if you can have a straight path where all the valleys are exalted and all the mountains... Are, are removed. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. Okay? And the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So what does this mean making straight the paths or raising of the valleys, removing the mountains? And let me tell you exactly what this means. We, all, we need to get a hold of this because again, He's speaking to the Jews here. What was the valley's? What was the mountains that were in their way? What were these crooked paths? What was this treacherous journey that they were on? And I'll tell you exactly what it was. And it was the keeping of the law. The keeping of the law. You want to talk about a mountain. You can't climb it. You want to talk about a valley. You can't get through it. You want to talk about a rough path. You want to talk about a crooked path. The law is a path. It's a journey that none of us can make. But notice when he's preaching about Jesus, He's talking about making the path straight. What's this, what's this saying? He's telling these Jews, for one, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when he's telling them to repent, he's telling the Jews they need to repent because they failed in keeping the law. He, they were sinful. They had not followed the instructions of God. They had not what God wanted them to do. And they needed Jesus who was going to come and He was going to remove those things for them. He was going to make a straight path for them. He was going to make a way that they were actually capable of walking so they could actually go to heaven because the law was a big, was a big problem for them. So this is showing the removing of the obstacles. The law creates mountains and valleys we can't cross. It comes with temptations that we are not capable of handling. But Jesus conquered all of those things. Jesus removed them, giving us a simple path to salvation. So whenever He's talking about every valley being exalted and every mountain being made low, that's not doesn't mean valleys will cease to exist, literally, that the Grand Canyon will be gone and that the mountains will be gone. That's not what it's saying. This is obvious. This is prophetic. This is poetic language. Showing the removal of the law, which was an obstacle for Israel. Look at Malachi 3. This is also a prophecy about John the Baptist. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of His coming? And who shall stand when He appeareth? For He is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And He shall sit as a refiner and the purifier of silver. And He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord." as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I will come near to you in judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against the false swears and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And understand, when he says this in Malachi, this is after he has nailed them for their failure and they're doing a terrible job in their sacrifices and their tithes and offerings. I mean, they are just, they are not following God's law. And so he's prophesying of John the Baptist who's going to come and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord, who's going to clean these people up. And then look what it says in chapter 4. It says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all the do wickedly shall be, stu- be stubble, And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet, in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Watch this. Look what he said. This is prophesying of John the Baptist and the Messiah. And it says, "...remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." So John, he was calling on Israel not just to confess their sins like we describe it today, but he was specifically calling them out for the fact they had not kept the law that God had given to Israel. Their performance of the law was terrible. And something needed to change. Something needed to fix them something needed to cleanse them they had not done anything right according to god's standard they didn't even come close and so he says remember ye the law of moses so when john the baptist is preaching repentance okay the repent of sins people are right when they're saying that john is calling these people out for their sinfulness they're they're right when they talk about that he absolutely is he is trying to help these people understand you are sinful you have broken the law of Moses. You have not kept the covenant of God. You have failed in your performance of the law. Now, here's where the repentant sins preachers are wrong, is he wasn't telling them, all right, now that you've done a really sorry job, you know, let's see if you can start just doing better now, finally. Even though for the last 2,000 years, you guys have not kept this law. What he is telling them, he is telling them you need to repent, but he's telling them to repent to Jesus Christ and to trust him. And, and his works. So that's where they're wrong. They teach you got to repent of your sins and basically try harder to not do those sins. And that's not even really repentance. That's just running a little faster in the wrong direction. It's pretty much what they're promoting. But so John, he was calling on Israel not just to confess their sins like we talk about today, but they need to understand you are not keeping God's law. You have not done anything's right. They needed to confess their failure, their breaking of the old covenant, and they needed to believe on the Messiah and follow the one who would be bringing in a new and better covenant. That's what they needed to do. And that happened to be Jesus Christ. John had not called. Now, notice John had not called them away from the law or the things of the temple at this point. But he was trying to get them to acknowledge, at least, their sinful condition. They needed to understand, you are not clean right now. You are not acceptable to a holy God. You are not even prepared for the Messiah. You need to get prepared. And they and so he, he preached these things to them, and then they were to be baptized. They were to be baptized there in the water. And they were to accept this Messiah that was going to come and clean them up. And so verse 4 says, And the sons of, uh, and the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was local, locust and wild honey. So I get the Charlton Heston depiction of him. I, I, I get that. But it doesn't change the fact that Isaiah said he's speaking comfortably. While he's calling these people, while he's telling these people, you are sinful, you are not acceptable in, in the eyes of God, he's, t- he's not po- telling them, You're just going to have to do a whole lot better in your performing of the law. You know what he did? He pointed him to Jesus Christ. That was what he did. So this is is really good news. When he's saying, uh, when it was prophesied that the valleys would be exalted, the mountains made low. That is that showing there is about to be a much easier path, a much better path with this new and better covenant that this Messiah was going to bring in. So it says in verse 5, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Uh, so, and th- so there's those in the disp- of the dispensational persuasion that try to act like, and these are like Ruckmanites, not all dispensationalists believe that, but they will act like John preached a different gospel. Okay? Now, if you want to know what the big difference was between John's gospel and our gospel. Here's the difference, alright? Let's just say this pulpit represents Christ. Let's say over here, this represents before Christ died on the cross, and over there represents after. Here's the difference between what we preach and what John preached. John pointed this direction, we point this direction. That's the difference. What matters is what happened during that time in the life of Christ. Before they pointed to a thing coming in the future, we point to something that has happened in the past. That's the difference right there between John's Gospel and our Gospel. So everybody just needs to get a hold of that right there. Same Gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Same Gospel. We're just looking at it from... And and understand too, from over here, we have a much better vantage point. We see it much more clear because back here... They looked at it through shadows and types, where from over here we're see- we've seen the revealed Son of God, it, it been revealed to the world. So we see it from much more clearly and from a much better vantage point. So that, those are the only differences, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, make sure you don't ever let anybody convince you different than that. And so the, uh, and this is so, but without a doubt, he is pointing to one that's coming after him which was Jesus, and these Jews were being baptized, confessing their sins. You know, recognizing we have not kept the law. We are not doing good. We have failed. And this is significant because, again, shouldn't Jews, if they are sinful up to this point, shouldn't they have been offering up sacrifices for their sins at this time? Obviously, that was the program but John is pronouncing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John is showing the replacing of the old with the new. So he didn't call them to go to the Levitical priest. He didn't call them to go offer up sacrifices and do those things. No, all he did is point them to Christ. And it was prophesied that John would be the one to prepare the Lord. And then he, the Messiah, Jesus, he would come and he would cleanse those people. He would clean these people up. He would fulfill the things of the law on their behalf. So, understand that the individuals who were baptized on that day... Okay, or, well, I, I, let's go back to verse 7. I, I'm getting ahead of myself again. So, verse 7 says, "...but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers!" who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So notice how it mentions that they were come to his baptism. And so it would appear that they were coming to be baptized. Many Pharisees and Sadducees. It's saying Jerusalem, Judea, that region... They are all coming. I mean, God has not spoken by a prophet in over 400 years. John the Baptist comes, and it's as though people recognize that this is a prophet. People are coming. They're being baptized. But when these Pharisees and Sadducees came, John calls these guys out. He calls them a generation of vipers. And it's possible they were there just to find fault. But it appears they might have been coming to be baptized. But he being full of the Holy Ghost... He perceived that their hearts were not right. They, they had not acknowledged their sinful condition, but thought they were worthy of the baptism because they were Jews. And so when John is saying, to, he's saying to these Pharisees, think not to say within yourself, we have Abraham as our father. You think you can come do this baptism just because you're children of Abraham? No. God's able these stones to raise up children to Abraham. You know what they needed? They needed that broken and contrite heart. They needed to acknowledge their sinful condition. They didn't just need to go through the motions of a baptism. And obviously, there was something missing in their heart. And John immediately called it out. He called out their foolishness. And you know, sadly, that, this mindset is still prevalent today that because people are supposedly you know, children of Abraham, that they got some special standing. John was not impressed. John was not impressed. And you know what? We don't need to be impressed either if somebody says they're a Jew. Okay? It's not, it's not impressive because flesh and blood can't enter the kingdom of heaven. God be saved. So verse 10. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So these Pharisees and Sadducees, they were, I think John's letting them know, hey, you all are the leaders right now, but the ax is about being taken to the tree. You know why? Because this tree that you guys have been head over, it's not bearing any fruit. We will see that as we go throughout the book of Matthew, the problem with Israel as a whole. We're always making application to individuals and people are getting confused. But Israel as a whole was failing to produce fruit. And so what do you do with a branch that's not producing fruit? You cut it off. You get rid of it. That branch, that tree wasn't producing fruit. That fig tree wasn't producing any fruit. Jesus cursed it and it withered away. And one of the reasons that this tree was not bringing forth good fruit is because a lot of it was because of the leadership, because of these Pharisees and Sadducees. And John's letting them know that y'all are about to be cast in the fire because God's, God's done using you. They were not going to be the spiritual leaders. They were about to be cut off. And any Jew, with an ounce of honesty, they should have recognized that if the kingdom of heaven was at hand, they weren't ready. They should have understood that. When you look at the condition that they were in, when we read the Gospels, they were not in a good place. Things were bad. I mean, first off, they're being ruled by the Romans, pretty much. You know, you've got Herod, this wicked king that's over things. You've got, and then even the people that are being oppressed, there was no righteousness there there was a bunch of self-righteousness there was a bunch of hypocrites there was a bunch of outward things that the pharisees and sadducees did and you know and there were people that were actually impressed by that but let me tell you when god showed up he was not impressed with these people at all and john the baptist who was full of the holy ghost he was not impressed with these people at all but the one there were some thankfully there were people like the publican who said, have mercy on me, a sinner. There were people who recognized their sinful state. And let me tell you something. Don't get me preaching Sunday morning's message. Okay? Don't get me preaching Sunday morning's message. But there were people who had read the law and learned what God wanted them to learn through the law. They actually, there were people who read that law and it caused them to know the Lord. They looked at the things of the temple. They looked at the sacrifices. They looked at the feast. They looked at all these things that God instituted to help Israel to know the Lord. And the ones who learned about who God was through those things, you know what they realized? I'm a sinner. And you know what? Those ones who confess their sins rather than trying to figure out how they could keep the law to fix those themselves the ones who said have mercy on me a sinner they got saved they got saved they got they got soul salvation when they did that but I'll, i'll say more about that on sunday there's some real important stuff there that a lot of christians are are just completely missing and it really is a shame and so verse 11 says i indeed baptize you with water under repentance But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so while John was doing the work of preparing people for the Messiah, he understood that the more important work would be done by jesus christ he knew that hey i'm getting you all ready for the messiah but he is the one that's going to baptize you with either water or with fire and you're all getting baptized and we already talked about that when we talked about the doctrine of baptism everybody's going to get a baptism and they're either going to get now not everybody's going to get a water baptism not even every saved person is going to get a water baptism but everybody's going to get baptized by jesus they're either going to get baptized with the holy ghost and they'll be sealed and saved and spared from His wrath. But those who do not get that baptism of the Holy Ghost—and that doesn't mean you're flopping around on the floor speaking in tongues. All right? And I shouldn't even have to clarify that, but you know that's kind of teaching that's going around these days. But understand, those who don't get that Holy Ghost baptism, they're getting baptized with fire. And you don't want to get baptized with fire, right? That's not—that's not a good thing at all. That's judgment, not good. So verse 13. And Jesus was going to do that. He's just letting these people know, hey, don't you think that this water is really doing anything for you? It's preparing you. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. So what's the difference between John's baptism, water baptism, and our water baptism we do today? Here's the difference between John's water baptism and our water baptism. John's water baptism pointed this direction. Our water baptism points this direction. Okay, That's the difference. Everybody got that, okay? We're ready for the dispensationalist on that, okay? That, I know that's deep. That's deep stuff right there, but that is that—that's that's the difference. So verse um, thirteen says, "Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me?'" And Jesus, answering, said unto him. Suffer it to be sown out, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Now, this is powerful stuff here. But remember, baptism is a picture of many things. Okay, But one thing that baptism is a picture of, it is a picture of separation. Okay? Now, this baptism that Jesus did. Okay, obviously it did not cleanse his sins because he had no sins to be cleansed of. But he said, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. You know why? Because while, and and, and I hope you get this, while all of Israel was supposed to be following the law and while they were supposed to be getting baptized, their... Uh, any attempt to keep the law did nothing to save them their baptism did nothing to save them you understand that even though the law is very very important even though baptism and righteousness was very very important so as all of israel is is being baptized during this time what, what they were doing was not acceptable To a holy God. When they're, as they're being baptized, God's not looking at these people now, and based on their baptism or their keeping of the law, or even the fact that they recognized that they were sinful, that alone does not save them. Somebody has to actually be righteous. Somebody actually has to purchase salvation. And so understand, Jesus is now about to begin his journey fulfilling all righteousness on their behalf because again now you say i thought all we have to do is just trust him and again at this point all they have to do you know again all they did to get saved was they confessed their sins they believed in the messiah but all of that is pointless if jesus doesn't go and do that work and and guess what he got the work done so it it did it got all of them saved but them getting baptized, you know, them, you know, confessing their sins is not going to do anything unless somebody comes and fulfills all righteousness. Because their baptism isn't good enough. Their circumcision wasn't good enough. Their keeping of the law wasn't good enough. So Jesus comes on the scene to do everything on behalf of Israel. And notice too, that because Jesus is doing these things on behalf of Israel, He didn't say, hey, because I'm getting baptized, None of y'all need to. He still wants them to get baptized. Hey, because I'm keeping the law, y'all don't have to worry about any of those commandments anymore. Obviously, we don't worry about those commandments to go to heaven, but we ought to keep His commandments. We ought to walk in His steps. We ought to try to be like Him. God wants us to do all those things. So, Jesus, He's coming on the scene to fulfill all righteousness because somebody's got to do this. Somebody's got to keep the law. Somebody's got to be baptized And then somebody's got to go through a wilderness and be tempted and to not give in, unlike Israel who was baptized 2,000 years before and went into the wilderness and gave in to every single temptation. And that generation fell in the wilderness. Jesus now, and I preached about that the other night, I'm not going to re-preach all that again, but He comes along and then He goes and gets baptized and then He goes into the wilderness and, spoiler alert, for next week, He's going to pass all the tests. He's going to pass every single one of those tests. So, um, so again, it is it is good even today when we get baptized. But that baptism does not save you. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. Jesus got baptized. So what if somebody doesn't get baptized? Well, Jesus got baptized. So if they're trusting in Him, they're okay. Yeah, well, what if they don't obey this law? What if they don't obey that law? Well, Jesus obeyed all those laws. So guess what? You're okay if you're trusting in Him. Again... not. None of these things that Jesus did means don't even try doing any of these things. We're supposed to try to be like Him. We get baptized because we're identifying ourselves with Him publicly. But at the end of the day, Jesus, He exalted the valleys, He lowered the mountains, and either way, He did it all for us. And so those of us who put our faith and trust in Him, we can go in our pathetic, clumsy way doing what we can with the law, still not doing that impressive a job, and we'll still go to heaven because what Jesus did he made the path straight for us he did it all for us and so we're just trying to do our best to please him and uh, not so he'll take us to heaven because we like to get some rewards we want to be a good testimony we want to honor our Lord and so there were there were certain promises that God made to Israel about Israel we got to get this God's promises to Israel must, be fulfilled there will always be a people of israel but those promises are not something that are yet to be fulfilled these promises have been fulfilled this is what this is what frustrates me to no end with the dispensational crowd they're always saying telling us you think god broke his promise to israel no they don't think god did keep his promise to israel he kept his promise to israel he, he did it. The things that they are looking... Many of these things that they are looking for have been fulfilled in Christ who was of Israel, who took on Him the seed of Abraham. He did these things on their behalf. There are many people that are still waiting for Israel to go possess the land, and Israel to do this, and Israel to do that. It's like Jesus did all those things. Why are you still looking for these things? Have you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Have you ever read any of the New Testament? Jesus already did all these things. And so these promises are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so verse 16, And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased under and again I'm gonna I, I, I have to repeat this stuff because everybody needs to understand this when we're looking at Matthew 3 somebody in the future listen to this sermon we cannot skip this when we're talking about Matthew 3 but let me tell you something when God made that statement this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased what's the interpretation of that passage okay we've all we, we've all heard a lot of application of that passage I mean that 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 line will preach right there. I mean, it's a great line. There's a lot of application that we can make. But why did the Holy Spirit inspire Matthew to write this and to record this and to give it to the Jews? Why did he do this? Because of the fact they needed to understand that the promises to Israel are fulfilled through God's Son, Jesus Christ, not through them as a people. It says in... in First uh, Corinthians 10 2, and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Israel was baptized when God separated them from Egypt. He got separated in water is a picture of separation. And God separated Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea and all of Israel. They did. They passed through the Red Sea. That was a very common thing with covenants in the Bible is whenever they would make covenants, they would often walk in between things. Remember when Abraham cut the animals in half and he walked, he passed through those. We even do that today in weddings. What is it that we do, brides do in weddings? They walk down a center aisle in between the groom's family and between her family. What are they doing? They're about to come together and they're about to make a marriage covenant together. And so that's just been a practice that goes all the way back to Old Testament times that whenever a covenant's being made, that you go through something. And so whenever the children of Israel went through the Red Sea, that was a picture of baptism. God is separating a people for Himself from the world, from Egypt, and, and so that was, that was a baptism when they did that. But the problem when they did that baptism in the Red Sea, and you want to talk about a glorious baptism, folks, I mean, good night. Walking through a sea on walls of water on dry land, that's a cool baptism right there. That's a miraculous baptism right there. God did that for them right there. But what happened to them when they got into the wilderness and they got a little bit thirsty, when they got a little bit hungry? A very, the absolute opposite of what happened with Jesus when he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. No food, no water. When he was tempted of the devil, he quoted Scripture to him. Where the children of Israel, they complained, they murmured, they doubted God, they doubted God, they had no faith, they wanted to go back to Egypt. So even though God did this miraculous baptism with Israel, when they went through the sea, what did it say in 1 Corinthians 10, 5? But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown In the wilderness. God was not pleased with Israel, his firstborn. Isn't that what he called Israel? Israel, my firstborn. Like Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn, but he didn't receive the promises. Like Esau was Isaac's firstborn, but Esau didn't receive the promises. And Israel, that child of the flesh, God was not pleased with them. But then Jesus Christ comes along. Born of Israel, also the Son of God, but the flesh always comes before the Spirit. And Jesus Christ, who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, he comes on the scene and he goes through the water. He gets baptized, a picture of a covenant. And what do we see? God say, I mean, I mean God shows up. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and God says, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." Well, what happened to Israel, your firstborn? Kind of, it's, it's kind of the same thing as when Abraham, God told Abraham to take Isaac. He said, take Isaac, thy son, thine only son whom thou lovest. What happened to Ishmael? I don't know. You know what? Honestly, I don't know for sure. They don't matter because they don't receive the promises. So when God, when, when Jesus comes on the scene and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, what happened to Israel's firstborn? I don't know. They don't matter. They don't receive the promises. Jesus receives the promises. It was, it was to him. It wasn't, the promise wasn't to Abraham and just his seed, physically speaking, because Ishmael didn't get it. The sons of Keturah didn't get it. Isaac is the one who received the promises. And understand, and Isaac did come from Abraham, and Jesus did come from that line too. But Jesus is the one who received the promises because he is the one that the Lord was pleased with. He was the one who all, fulfilled all righteousness. And so Israel didn't get the job done. Jesus came to do it on their behalf. And so, there's a massive difference between what God said about Israel after their baptism and what God said about Jesus after His baptism. Jesus passed every test after His baptism when He went to the wilderness while Israel failed every test in their baptism. And the writer of Hebrews understood this truth when he showed what Jesus did on behalf of Israel. Hebrews 4.15 for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What's the interpretation? Okay, I, I, We make application all the time. All the areas where you and I are tempted, Jesus was tempted like that and He overcame those things. But the interpretation, the interpretation of that, the writer of Hebrews, when he's saying He was tempted in all points like as we are, he's saying we as a nation, when we were in the wilderness... And we were, and we were tempted with hunger. We were tempted with thirst. When we were tempted with all these things, where we failed, Jesus, He was tempted in those same exact same ways, but the difference between what He did and what we did, Jesus didn't sin. Where we did. That's the, that's the interpretation of Hebrews 4.15, and we need to get a hold of that. Jesus is, was the one who fulfilled that. And again, let's keep making an application. Whenever you feel tempted, just understand, well, well, you know, my temptation's a little bit different. Listen, if if Jesus handled those temptations, He could handle whatever you're tempted with too. You better believe You know why? Because all those areas where He was tempted was sufficient proof that there was no sin in Him whatsoever. There was was nothing sinful, nothing that could defile in Jesus Christ. And so understand... This is why we should not look to Israel for fulfillment of prophecy, but we should look to Jesus. Jesus is where prophecy is fulfilled. When studying prophecy, do not keep your eyes on Israel. Preachers have got to stop saying that. I mean, folks, the Israel ministries, the Israel preachers, the prophecy preachers are making a killing right now because of this stuff going on in Israel, because Israel's in the news, Fox News is talking about it all the time, and they're going around, Baptist churches all over the place, getting everybody watching more Fox News, getting everybody looking at Israel even more, getting more people doing prayer shawls, getting more churches putting Israeli flags up in their churches, instead of getting people to focus more on Jesus. That's what we need to be focusing on. And let me tell you, I, I keep an eye on Israel. I keep an eye on Israel just because I'm also keep I'm watching for the beast. That's why, not because I care about the beast, but I'm real excited about one who comes after him. I'm very excited about that, and so I, I'll keep my eye on that way. But boy, if you think I'm going to get behind the rise of the beast, you think I'm going to support that system? You think I'm going to? It's not going to happen. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. He got baptized and God was pleased. God wasn't pleased with Israel. He he went through the wilderness and and he said no to all the temptations. Israel said yes to every temptation. So guess what? We are followers of Christ. We bless Christ. We are named with Christ. Hmm. I don't like to do this during a sermon, but... Wait till you see the podcast release on Friday. Uh, uh, Man, Brother Clem, he brought the heat and brought some new ammo that I've never even used to prove exactly what we believe on this stuff. And I'm, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we've got so much Bible behind what we preach. And all these other people have is a bad twisting of Romans 11 And a couple other obscure passages, literally all they have where we we literally, do you know there's a place in the Bible where they told Israel, he specifically told them that he was going to call them by a new name. And when you look at that, I've never even pointed this one out before. I'm not, I don't, I don't have the scripture in front of me. You have to watch a podcast, but folks, that's why we don't call ourselves Israel anymore. We call ourselves Christians. We name ourselves with Christ. Why would we name ourselves with the people who failed in the wilderness and who made golden calves and just did everything wrong? Why would we why would we name ourselves with them rather than the one who came from them and fulfilled all those things on their behalf? I'm, I'm identifying with Christ for sure, and and that's what they should be doing too. And so uh, anyway, we'll close with that. We got we got a lot more stuff to come. As we go through Matthew, we are going to just absolutely pulverize, annihilate, destroy, decimate, whatever you can uh, come, come up with, dispensationalism and their their horrible theology. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for uh, th- this chapter and the lessons we can learn from it. We thank you so much for all that you've done in our behalf. And Lord, uh, I think we take for granted just how much you did for us. And I pray you'll help us as we study the bible as we learn these things we won't get uh, lifted up with pride from our knowledge but i pray it will just overwhelm us more uh just knowing what you did for us uh, uh, on our behalf and let it motivate us to just go tell more people about you in your name we pray amen